Romanus Cesario is the Adam Cardinal Maida Chair of Theology at Ave Maria University. His books are The Moral Virtues and Theological Ethics, A Short History of Thomism, and Christian Faith and Theological Life. His new book is The Seven Sacraments of the Catholic Church. That's our topic today. Welcome, Father Cesario. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Okay. Uh, now, you open by stating that the sacraments are, quote, the backbone of ordinary Catholic life, and that they, quote, accompany baptized Catholics all along the way of life. Now, do most Catholics in the United States experience the, sacrifice, the sacraments in that abiding way? I hope so, uh, because, in fact, the the sacraments as accompanying the various moments and stages of life uh, is what gives, so to speak, flesh and blood to the church's mediation. Uh, and there are two ways of organizing the sacraments. One is around the Eucharist. The other, and the, that you refer to, is that it, it, they, the sacraments mark life's moments birth, adulthood, the Eucharist and penance go together uh, to bring about the unity and charity within the community, and then the sacraments of uh, service to the community, marriage, matrimony, and holy orders uh, provide for the growth of the church, both the necessary, one of course for human reproduction and the other for spiritual generation. And then the final sacrament, the anointing of the sick, uh, prepares everyone for the inevitable circumstances of life that we call death. Um, and I would say that sac uh, Catholics who participate in a normal parish life will observe that uh, sequence that I just outlined. You, you know, that, that, that jumps ahead to a, a question I was, I was going to, to ask, uh, and I'll go ahead and pursue that. As you say, you, you say actually in the book, deeper into the book, that the seven sacraments operate, quote, in resemblance to the stages of a human life. So that, that they're not only out there to give uh, structure and expression and participation in the faith, but really they are sort of a very general roadmap of our earthly existence. They lay out how we should live. Yes? That's true. Now you can look at it that way. <laughs> um, they, 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 they do more than that, uh, of course. Yeah. They communicate to us uh, what we need to uh, pass through those stages or walk that way or whatever metaphor you want to use for life, the sacraments are there to ensure that we participate in the uplifted life of divine grace. Uh, you know, so many young people in particular, well, maybe older people as well, uh, just sort of slide through life as a meaningless sequence of days, uh, no, no bigger pattern to their existence, you know, no beginning, middle, and end to, to things. 
the Sacra Prince could, could, could give them that, couldn't they? Yes, and what you describe in a word is very sad, it hardly needs to be said, or more likely uh, people substitute created goods for the uncreated good of God. That's the dramatic choice, of course. But uh, the sacraments uh, are concrete ways of uh, drawing people in and reminding of them of the need to live a life that is well-ordered. That's especially true of both the uh, sacrament of penance and reconciliation, which is meant to correct disorder. And it's also true of the Eucharist, which is meant for those properly disposed to grow in the very things you, you said are lacking, meaning, purpose, uh, expectation, hope. The Eucharist, of course, is uh, a sacrament that not only strengthens us here below, but prepares us for, the, as St. Thomas says, the pledge of future glory. Let's let, let, let's go back because I want to tell people this is a weighty scholarly examination of of the sacraments, their meaning, and also their history, their their development. Uh, you actually say that Catholic teaching on the sacraments really becomes official with the Council of Trent. Relative to the sacraments, what was accomplished there? Well, uh, the Council of Trent, as you know, was held as part of the Catholic reform that followed in the 16th century after the Protestant reformers issued various complaints about Catholic life. Much of it, as the expression sola gratia, sola scriptura, sola fide suggests, was with an absence of the sacraments and an absence of all sacramental mediation. Trent set about to uh, ensure that the authentic tradition of the church was uh, re-presented uh, in forms that were unequivocal, and that's why Trent is quoted so frequently in the book, as it is in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, on the sacraments. Uh, when I use the word official, it's not to say Trent invented the sacraments, or Trent uh, suddenly yeah. gave new meaning to the sacraments, but the fact of the matter is that prior to Trent, there, there were different opinions about uh, how the sacraments were, even about the number of the sacraments, for example, it was commonly, commonly, it was held in some quarters that uh, a thing such as the coronation of a king uh, was indeed a sacrament. And if the, hist the historians know that uh, the great amount of energy that was done to preserve the, the sacred Ampula, which was kept in the cathedral of Rain, Rain, Reims in France, as we say in English. Uh, yeah, where the French kings were anointed, had to go to be anointed, called Joan of Arc. Uh, and that was said to have come down from heaven. It was kept in a, in a, a dove shaped um, container, and uh, the oil was only used. At the Reformation, it was one, excuse me, at the Revolution, 
in the 19th, uh, in the 18th century in France. It was one of the first things the revolutionaries did. They went and they uh, knocked down the container, broke it open, and spilled the oil. And to this day in France, this is some somewhat idiosyncratic, I grant you, but anyway, to this day in France, there are still people who believe, and it may be true, that some pious person gathered up some of the holy oil of anointing and kept it uh, for the eventual restoration of the monarchy. More close to our times was the recent coronation of King Charles, who uh, anyway, some people, the newspaper reports uh, mentioned, were surprised to discover they hadn't seen one in, what, 75 years or so. We're surprised to remember that and to discover how much a role clerics in the church and religious symbolism play in the uh, uh, coronation. And if you look closely, you saw that he, he was wearing things that looked very much like vestments, you know, not just medieval knight's attire, but truth to be told, the, the attire of medieval clerics is the, the anointing and the handing over of symbols and so forth. So you could see why something like uh, the coronation of a king was thought by some to be a sacrament, especially when the king was, uh, the monarch was obliged to preserve the Catholic faith. And there were other instances, for example, abbatial blessings, um, uh, the blessing of abbots and abbesses and so forth. So uh, there was, those things were considered fair game for theological reflection and, and Trent um, solidified that reflection and determined uh, and with greater precision sacraments from sacramentals. So in that sense, Trent gave, you might say, an official formulation to Catholic doctrine, certainly about the number of the sacraments. But to this day, they're still among theologians. It's not a, a much publicized debate about the status of the diaconate. Uh, I don't want to go into that here, uh, but certainly before the Second Vatican Council, the question of the sacramentality of the diaconate, which is a step that comes before priesthood, now we have a permanent diaconate, whether in fact that was a sacramental or a sacrament. And uh, St. Thomas, for example, for his part, thought that it was not a sacramental, it was not a sacrament, but a sacramental, uh, because he didn't see how the deacon participated in Christ's own priesthood. And that's still a question, I might add. The answer hmm. usually given today is that they participate in Christ the servant, but not the priest. So right. uh, in that sense, Trent gave, I would say, definition and that followed the church's practice because, you know, the church doesn't define everything so that it um, locks up into a sort of magic book, perpetual truths to be held on to. The church responds to challenges of the, to, against the truth. It, started, it did it from the very beginning, from the first con from the Council of Nicaea, when people challenged yes. the divinity of Christ. The church had to say, wait a minute now, some of these views are, are not um, in conformity with what has been communicated to us by the scriptures and the tradition. You note 
one contemporary problem is that the sacraments are understood really as ritual celebrations that give God insufficient causality in the acts and effects. Is, is this a widespread problem? Uh, in my judgment, it is more widespread than it should be. Um, yes, in my judgment, uh, other people may take a different, uh, give a different response to that. The problem of, you know, as I think I mentioned in the book, if the tradition had wanted to say that the sacraments were symbols and whatever they accomplished was accomplished by their being, merely symbols, not causes, then the, the theologians of the Middle Ages and of the modern period had every equipment, every linguistic ability, every the, uh, conceptual analysis at their disposal to say that. They didn't. They didn't. And uh, the appeal to symbol, of course, in, in, in at the present moment is generated largely by uh, secular philosophies that uh, are mostly, must be said, continental in origin that devotes a great deal of time on analyzing how we use symbols in everyday life. Right. By contrast, the, 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 the consistent teaching of the church, for which Thomas will use the word causality, Trent will say confers, um, but the consistent teaching of the church is that the sacraments communicate to us a divine action which only God can explain. The most obvious example of that is, of course, the Blessed Eucharist. Who wants to claim the causal efficacy for what happens in the Eucharist? It's foolish to think of it hmm. other than to say this is a work of God. And the same can be said for all the sacraments truth to be told. So uh, the use now, does that mean that the sacraments don't make use of signs or you could say symbols? Well, of course it does. The sacraments do, I should say. Um, however, that's only a beginning of their analysis. And that's the famous tripartite distinction uh, that is used to describe what a sacrament is. One part of it, sacramentum tantum, is the sacramental sign action, washing with water, signing with oil, eating and drinking, uh, confessing sins, uh, taking a wife or uh, taking a spouse, becoming a priest and so forth, all of those have well-known symbolic actions by which the sacrament is conferred. But the, the, great, the greatness of the sacrament, the mystery of the sacrament, the reason why people still practice them, stop and think about it, stop and think about the uh, continuity among the Catholic world of both East and West, 
orthodox looking for them to the picture. The reason is, is because they are seen to be instruments of salvation. Hmm. There it is. Uh, what is the distinction between a valid sacrament and a fruitful sacrament? Well, that's a, a distinction that uh, was introduced early on. Uh, St. Augustine probably gave the most clear explanation of it. And it arose because uh, it happened that some people who received baptism, and indeed, it must be said, it will come as no surprise to many people, some priests who received holy orders, subsequently apostatized. That is to say, they gave up publicly the faith, usually under the threat of persecution. This is during the, when the Church of the Catacombs. And everyone knows that um, the Roman emperors were not favorable to Christianity because um, for reasons that are, are well laid out. In any case, um, and then the question arose, especially after the persecution would subside, as it did, dependent on the dispositions of a particular ruler, but as when it subsided, the question was, what do we do with repentant baptized and priests who uh, apostatized and one party said well that's such a serious sin giving it all up that they must um, um, have to be rebaptized reordained and start all over again yeah and the, both the pope in the third century and later with St. Augustine, um, the church in her teaching said, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. You know, it, it sounds, you know, it almost sounds too logical because it means that a person by his or her sinning can frustrate a divine action. And uh, that really doesn't compute. Oh, here we have God doing something and a person by even as serious a sin as apostasy undoes it. And St. Augustine then explained with the famous reference to a sheep. He said that the sheep who strays from the flock, when the sheep is found, it still bears the uh, brand mark of the owner and is and should be returned to the owner. In Greek, the grand mark uh, comes out sounding very much like the English word character. So there's a way of uh, a sacrament that this is the abiding sacrament that can confer a character. Uh, even if it is uh, frustrated by subsequent sin, or as later became recognized, even if the uh, one who receives the sacrament is in 
Uh, I'm leaving aside baptism, which takes care of everything. But you can talk about confirmation, you can talk about holy orders, you can talk about matrimony. Uh, even if the person, uh, in fact, remains in a sinful state, seriously sinful state, and receives one of the sacraments without entering into simulation, that's another issue, but receives it half-heartedly perhaps, but nonetheless goes through it. This is a pastoral problem for many priests, especially with young people. Uh, the, the sacrament works. It is valid, but because of the concomitant sin, whatever it may be, not fruitful for reasons that are clear, because you can't be loving God and not loving God at the same time. So it's, it's a, it has a historical uh, origin and it has a contemporary application. This is why, contrary to what many people think, uh, there's no such thing as an ex-priest. There are priests who are no longer allowed to function. There are priests who are, in fact, removed from the clerical state. But what's never said is, in the letter that would be given to such an unfortunate man, it is pointed out at the end that were such a one removed, this is the most serious punishment, removed from the clerical state, encounters a person in need of the last rites, which is to say the final sacraments, he not only may or should, but must administer the sacraments appropriately to such a person. And that's the sort of testimony, even that's very old Quran, if I, unfortunately I'd have to say so. Uh, he could do such a thing uh, with full legitimacy and with the full power of the sacrament he had received. Another example okay. is marriage, but uh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up uh, another issue there about perhaps some some misunderstandings uh, of the sacraments. Catholicism speaks of holy mysteries, but the sacraments do not contain any hidden realities or occult symbols, correct? Well, let's clarify the language a bit. Uh, occult has nothing to do with Christian worship, number one. So occult is not, we don't speak about occult. Occult usually refers to most likely imaginary nefarious influences and powers. Are the, uh, is it right to call the sacraments mysteries? Yes, of course they are. And, and in fact, there's a long tradition of calling the sacraments mysteries. And that's because the sacraments require faith. Uh, it's not just the washing with water and saying words that creates the mystery. It is that the one who administers it does it in conformity with the faith of the church, even if, in the case of baptism, the person himself doesn't share the faith. And the same is true uh, for all of the sacraments. Um, the, the, there's a, the prerequisite is that the person 
believes that this is uh, an instrument of salvation and doesn't take it to be, for example, a purely cultural observance, uh, which would, uh, and, and, and that's the hidden part of the sacrament, then is in the faith of the one who receives it and the faith of the one who administers it. Right. The, the second half of the book covers the seven sacraments one by one. Uh, in discussing baptism, you raise uh, an important point made by Thomas Aquinas, who is the most cited authority in your book, and that is the difference between the institution of a sacrament and its, quote, necessity for use. Baptism, for example, was instituted when Christ is baptized in the Jordan, but the necessity only comes with his passion. This is an important distinction, isn't it? It is. Yes, uh, it's an important it's important distinction. So, the, from the very beginning, the most common representation of the sacraments, the patristic people talk about this, is to show usually a woman with a chalice collecting blood coming from the pierced side of Christ. To this day, in the Mass for the Sacred Heart, which I surely mentioned somewhere in the book, uh, the priest says <clears throat> that from the pierced side, the pierced side of Christ is the fountain of the church's sacraments. And the reason, with that, with the reason for that is that the sacramental efficacy comes from the defining moment in Christ's life. One cannot read the New Testament and, come, and, and not come away with an appreciation for the fact that the high point is the passion narrative and that everything in a certain sense leads up to it. And that involves us in the mystery of salvation, the efficacy of Christ's death, why he had to die on the cross, what it means to make satisfaction for sins, why it is that in making satisfaction for sins, he also brings a new life of grace. All of that finds its, well, its origin in the moment when Christ said, it is finished. And the, the pierced side becomes a symbol, that's a symbol, the blood and water that the Gospel Evangelist says flows out have became the symbol for Eucharist and baptism, the two sacraments that enjoy a certain preeminence among the others. So, yes, uh, that's uh, why and what St. Thomas is doing there, St. Thomas had no doubt about the institution of the sacraments by Christ, another point Trent reaffirmed against the Protestant reformer. Uh, but he saw, well, if, you know, what, well, if, if baptism is instituted in Christ's own baptism, for which there was a tradition, especially from the East, uh, does that mean, and what about why, why wasn't it enacted right away? And the answer is, yes, it comes after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and that's when Christ gives the command, go baptize all nations. There is much more in the book, which seems to me operating on the assumption that the more one knows about the sacraments, the more will, one will appreciate them and want to participate in them. 
For now, the book is The Seven Sacraments of the Catholic Church. Father Cesario, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me.